0: Well, as Andy said this morning, we begin a series in the Psalms, a series in the Psalms reflecting together on what God is like, primarily for our encouragement. If we get a hold in our minds of what God is like, his character, his nature, his vision, then that will enlarge our love for him and enlarge our vision and bring our wills in under and in accord with his perfect will. It is a series for our encouragement. We'll be covering themes like the God who speaks today, the God who protects, the God who gives joy, the God of glory, the God who reigns, the God who cares. This morning, Psalm 19, the God who speaks, and uh, we printed it for you in the order of service. Bibles have not arrived yet, they'll come, but this morning we printed it out for you in the order of service. Let's listen to the voice of God as he speaks from his word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, let's pray for God's help. Our Father, these are strong words. O Lord, covenant God, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. Speaks to us from your living and enduring word. And as you speak to us from your living word, we encounter that Word made flesh, the man, the Lord Jesus, your Son, our Saviour, our Lord. Lord, grant to us on this first day of Chalmers a confidence and a security in your Word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. At Chalmers, our life together will be rooted in the foundations of the Bible, the simple gospel and prayer. The Bible is central to our life as Christians because when we study or teach or read God's word, we hear God's voice. God is a speaking God and that is a wonderful thing. He is not a silent God. He is a speaking God. He acts by speaking. and Therefore, if our life as a church is to be God-centered, it needs to be word-centered and Bible-centered. Whether in our Sunday services, with our children and young people, in our small groups, in our one-to-ones, in our evangelism, we will seek to open up and teach the Bible that we might simply hear God speak to us and be shaped and be changed by that Spirit-anointed voice. Thomas Chammers, after whom our church is named, said this about the Bible. He said, The sum and substance of the preparation needed for a coming eternity is that you believe what the Bible tells you and do what the Bible bids you. Let me read that again. The sum and substance of the preparation needed for a coming eternity is that you believe what the Bible tells you and do what the Bible bids you. And the heart of Psalm 19 is about how God speaks to us through his word. Now there are three clear sections in the psalm. You see them on the back of the service sheet. Verses one to six. The writer te- reflects on how God speaks to us through creation, and then the heart of the psalm seven through eleven, and then the last bit twelve to fourteen, each in turn. First, verses one to six. God speaks through his creation. Now, as evangelical Christians, whatever that term means, I suspect that for many of us, this is an area of theology or thinking about God, that God speaks to us through his creation, that we are of or cautious about. That God speaks to us through the sky and the stars and the sun and the hills and the wind. The idea that as you walk in the Scottish mountains, on a beautiful evening as dusk falls, that you can hear God's voice, that you can sense His majesty and the splendor of God. We're wary of that. Now we know that salvation is not found in the hills or by looking at the moon or the stars. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. But that does not mean that God does not speak to us through his creation. Causing us to wonder and bow before his majesty and his splendor. And the writer of this, Sam David, is not ashamed or cautious in any way of acknowledging the power with God speaks through his creation. Listen to the language he uses. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The words are our proclamation words, preaching words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech. Night to night it reveals knowledge. It's not that God whispers through his creation. He speaks loud and clear. He declares, he proclaims, he pours out, he reveals. That phrase pours out or pours forth speech suggests the irrepressible bubbling up of a spontaneous spring and therefore the unfailing spontaneous bubbling up of the variety with which the creation heralds the Creator. God speaks through His creation to the whole world, to everybody. His voice is for all to hear. Verse 4, there is no speech. Nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Some of you will have heard me using this illustration before. A very vivid moment for me in my life. Um, we were at the Keswick Convention and I was running in the days when I could run long distances round the hills around Derwent Water, some seven, eight miles from the convention town and BBC were recording songs of praise in the afternoon on the shore of the lake and they were singing to God be the glory let the earth hear his voice and there we were seven, eight miles away on the hills where God speaks and God spoke through the song and the whole world heard the voice of God. What the psalmist here is saying is that in creation God speaks to the whole world. Why? To declare his glory, yes, verse 1. But also to reveal himself, to cause people to heed him, to acknowledge him, to revere him, to turn to him. In Romans, the Apostle Paul speaks about the fact that God's revelation in his creation is such that people are without excuse. So he says, for example, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made the creation. So they are without excuse. It's quite a sobering thought that there is sufficient revelation in creation to cause every person to move every person to believe that behind the creation There is a Creator. It's a sobering thought that people are without excuse. That's normally how you you preach on that verse. It's sobering that people are without excuse. But it's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful insight into the goodness and mercy of God that God wants people to see who He is every time they walk in the hills. Just think of all the people that will come to Scotland this summer and see the beauty of God's creation. If Scotland didn't have rain and midges, there would be billions of people here. Just think how many people will come, though, this summer, in the sunny days, and see the beauty of God's creation. Yes, that renders them that excuse, but what mercy of God! What mercy of God to show them who He is, even as they walk in the hills. The end of verse 4 and in verses 5 and 6, the writer of the psalm focuses on one particular part of God's creation, the sun. He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a straw man runs its course with joy, it's rising from the end of the heavens, circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from it heat. Why the focus on the sun? Simply that it sustains all life. Everything revolves around it. It is inescapable. It keeps us alive. While men and women are alive under the rays of the sun, gazing at the hills, there is grace extended to them to believe in Jesus. Notice too how the writer speaks of the sun. It's a wedding The sun comes out like a bridegroom, runs its course with joy. One of the things we'll see as we study these psalms in the coming weeks is the Christian's joy in the Lord. Now I said this a few weeks ago. I wonder if that is a dimension of our relationship with God. We need to recover our joy in the Lord. The Bible is resplendent with joy language, with relishing our relationship with God. The language, the emotions, the affections of joy. And so the Bible tells me to tell you this. And this is evangelical, rich theology. When you are out on the hills this summer, when you are on the beach at the edge of the ocean, or in a car simply driving through the countryside, or watching a natural history program on television, as a Christian, let the creation, as a Christian, lead you to reflect on the Creator, not simply to revere Him and acknowledge His majesty, but to relish the fact that you know Him as Christ your Father. He made all that. He made you. He redeemed you. And He is your Father. Joy in the Lord. And let your affections, your affections for the Lord and the Lord Jesus well up within you. God speaks through His creation to the Christian. Let your heart exult before His majesty. Let your heart be filled with joy as you behold his glory in the heavens and on the earth. And to the person who is not yet a convinced Christian, not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus, maybe that is you. Let me throw out a proposition to you. Shut your eyes and fill your mind with the most beautiful pictures you can of this world, its creation, And let me throw out a proposition to you. Who is behind the creation? Surely a creator of infinitely intelligent mind, of infinite power, of infinite grace. Day by day, he pours out speech. Night by night, he reveals knowledge that you might turn to him and to his Son. So God speaks through his creation. Second, and the heart of the psalm, God speaks through his word. Now, notice a couple of things at the start. You'll notice in your Bibles that the word for God changes uh, to verse 7. i just notice there's no clock in here. I've longed for such a day all my life. (laughs) And having said that, there will be a clock next Sunday. It's five past eleven, we're fine. God speaks through his words. Notice two things at the start. Notice in your Bibles that the word for God changes at verse seven. In the first section of the psalm, the Hebrew word used for God is El. Just translated G-O-D in our Bibles. El is the generic name for God. Do you believe in God? Most people would say yes. It's a generic name for God. But from verse 7 onwards, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, L-O-R-D, translated in our English Bibles. It's the, the covenant God. It's the God of his people. It's the God who knows people. It's the God who is believed in. And that word L-O-R-D, Yahweh, is used virtually in every phase. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Covenant God and the name change from El in the first part of the psalm to Yahweh, covenant God, signals a change from God's general revelation and creation to the specific revelation in his word. Another way to think about that change is to think about the difference between common grace, grace displayed in the hills, that we might marvel at the creator and saving grace, grace that leads you to glory, to forgiveness to the Lord Jesus and to an eternity. God speaks in a general way through his creation, but in a saving way through his written word and therein his living word, his own flesh, his Son in whom his power is manifested for salvation. And that is why Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord The Word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a a preliminary uh, to the psalm, the shifted name. Second preliminary to the central section. The language about the Bible is so rich and positive. Just notice it. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. It's sure, it makes wise. The precepts are right, they rejoice the heart. They're pure, they enlighten the eyes. They're clean, they endure forever. Verse 10, much more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The writer lapses into kind of poetic engagement in describing the word of God. Striking language. The start of the service, and he read from Psalm 1, The believers, what's the word? Delight is in the Word of God. One of my colleagues, when I worked in London, wrote a book on Psalm 119. Another Psalm about the Word of God. The title of his book, it's a brilliant title. Bible Delight. Bible Delight. I wonder if we might have lost all to that language. That way of thinking about the Word of God. The Word of God, as as you travel through a tough time, becomes... Your reference, your rule, your authority. But the Bible is our delight. It brings joy to our souls. It is the habitat in which the Christian thrives. Some of you will enjoy watching these programs on television. David Attenborough. Personally, I don't. I'm unusual. Um, He'll talk often about the natural habitat for a lion. Or a snow leopard. Or a bear. For the Christian, your natural habitat is the Word of God, the Bible. It's where you are at home, safe, secure, find joy, comfort, a light, assurance, a challenge. You cannot navigate through life without it now let's look in a little more detail about what the writer says about the word of God let me suggest a helpful way of doing that I hope you find it helpful and uh, it's to look at the nouns then the adjectives and the verbs you've got to concentrate I was still of the generation when you were taught the difference between a noun an adjective and a verb let's look first at the naming words These are the nouns. This is what the psalm is talking about. Verse 7a, the law of the Lord. It's a comprehensive term for God's revealed will. Verse 7b, the testimony of the Lord. That's truth attested by God himself. Verse 8a, the precepts of the Lord. Verse 8b, the commands of the Lord. Verse 9, very striking, verse 9a. He's talking about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commands. How does he describe the word of God? He describes it as a noun, the fear of the Lord. Striking that, isn't it? And then verse 9b, the rules of the Lord. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, rules, naming words, nouns, strong words associated with rule and authority. And these words together show us that the practical purpose of God's revelation in his word is to bring his will to bear on us and to engender in the mind and heart of the hearer reverence, trust and obedience. I had a very striking comment from a friend recently. He said, God is not a person you dialogue with when it comes to his authority. When it comes to God, his authority, God is someone who The Bible for the believer is to be the rule of their faith and life. At the end of the day, we don't dialogue with God, we obey him that's the noun Wrong words rule authority next the adjectives perfect 7b sure right 8a pure 8b clean 9a true 9b righteous 9c sweeter 10 it's a striking list what do these words do they convey dignity worth value honesty, beauty, purity, truth, trustworthiness, and how starkly they contrast, and as starkly the word of God contrasts from the rhetoric, the discourse, the language of the world. The word of God is free from one iota of compromise. The word of God is free from one iota of insincerity or hypocrisy. It is free from spin and the half-truths of human discourse. It is thoroughly trustworthy, thoroughly edifying. It is rich, it is good, it is true. So from the nouns to the adjectives and finally to the verbs, the doing words. This is what the Word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit does to us. Seventy, it revives the soul. It brings life from dead wood. It makes wise the simple. It gives us wisdom for life. It rejoices the heart. It takes a grip of your heart and rejoices it. It does it to you. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. Verse 11 summarizes, Moreover, by them, as your servant warns, in keeping them, there is great reward. The word of God stands as a warning. It should not be ignored. When God speaks we are to obey. But in submitting to the word of God and living under its authority and making it the rule of our lives, there is great reward. What is that reward? Well, that reward is primarily that God gets the glory for it. But the reward is also living a fruitful, productive life for God. Think again of Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He yields its fruit in season. its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. That is the promise to those who meditate. His habitat is the word of God. So God speaks to his creation, through his word, and then to close the psalm, third and finally, a humble response. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? fear me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The word of God exposes our sin. Many of you here are doctors. You wield scalpels. There is no scalpel like the word of God. It does reveal our sin. It exposes our need of the Lord Jesus. It is in meditating on the subject of the word that is the Lord Jesus that we become deeply conscious of sin and the need of his forgiveness day by day. And surely these verses at the end of the psalm are the cry of the Christian's heart. Declare me innocent. Keep me from hidden faults. I want to be blameless. That is the cry of the Christian. To be free of the dominion of sin. How can that change be effected in our lives? Well, as the Holy Spirit who indwells us changes us. How does the Holy Spirit who indwells us changes us through the living and enduring word of God, the Spirit's sword? And so here is a great encouragement on the first day of Chambers Church. To keep the Bible, the word of God central in our life as a church family. Sundays, with our kids, with our young people, in our small groups, in our one-to-ones, in our evangelism. But as we seek to open up and teach the Bible, we will hear God speak and we will be changed. Let me read Thomas Chalmers' quote again. Some substance of the preparation needed for the coming eternity is that you believe what the Bible tells you and you do what it bids you. Finally, verse 14, the prayer of the preacher before they preach. Prayer of the small group leader before they teach. Prayer of the Sunday club leader before they teach. Prayer around your dinner tables at home before you read the Bible with your children, your wife, your husband. Prayer on your knees as you read the Bible every day. at the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight. How does the psalm end? O Lord, my covenant God, my rock, my rock, and my Redeemer,
1: my Saviour.
0: Father, we thank you for this great psalm of encouragement. This psalm of encouragement and challenge to keep the word of God at the very heart of our life as a church. A psalm to live lives of obedience to that authority, but also a wonderful psalm to help us relish and find joy and affection in your word, which is living and enduring for eternity. May it be our delight. May it be our joy. And may it be to us like pure gold, like honey dripping from a honeycomb. And may that obedience to it change our root and branch, reviving our souls, shaping us for eternity. Lord, help us to believe what the Bible says and to do what it bids us through all the days and months and years and decades that lie ahead in the life of this Church. And that we pray in the name of our Rock and our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose Church it is, and who builds it by the Spirit of God, with His Word, until He returns, calls us all home. We ask it in His name and put his seat